Hello, hello! Today is Monday, February 1st, 2021. We are one month into the new year, and it has been starting off pretty well. And sports is only making it better. For this week's episode, I really want to dive into Philip Rivers' career, and if he's a Hall of Famer or not. Stafford just got traded to the LA Rams for Jared Goff and a couple of picks, including two first-rounders. The Baseball Hall of Fame controversy that has erupted in the past week. Plus, let's go over what happened in both conference championship games that led both Tampa and the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. So first and foremost, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady are doubted upon yet again going into the frigid, freezing cold weather in Green Bay. And they went out and defeated the Packers by the score of 31-26. to Great game, but there were questionable calls involved that may have favored Tampa. But I think that the refs were fine on both ways. The Packers had their damage, throwing it down. But, man, the refs aren't going to fucking stop the Buccaneers from going and scoring a touchdown on the last play right before halftime. How is that not the Packers' fault? How is that the refs? Are we just going to ignore the fact that the Packers totally just shit on this play? And the Tampa game went in the locker rooms with such confidence? No. That, first off, killed them. And second, you get the ball at the second half as the Packers, and next thing you know, a turnover right away. And that leads to a Tampa touchdown within the next five seconds. Unbelievable. Yet, we're going to blame the refs and not the Packers for fucking those two plays up right before and right after the half. I don't understand that at all. Tampa came into play. Brady had a very good first half compared to the second half. He struggled tremendously. But Rodgers really was doing fine, but just didn't have enough in the tank to beat Tampa and Tom Brady. Brady went for three touchdowns and three picks, 280 yards, and completed 20 of his 36 attempts passing. Rodgers was 33 for 48, 346 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Aaron Jones did not do anything. Leonard Fournette had a touchdown. I think they've been using him much more. They're using him more aggressively, and they've been switching him and Ronald Jones rather than just keeping Jones as the main running back. Godwin had 110 yards on five receptions. Mike Evans had a neat touchdown to start off the game. Scott Miller, a nice touchdown right before halftime. Looking good. Gronkowski had a big reception for 29 yards. And Cameron Brait who used to be the starting tight end, has been serviceable. I think he's a phenomenal guy to go down deep for Brady. And Brady has been working on his deep ball passes, and he's been getting them done. He struggled throughout the season to really let the deep ball fly and to get it into his targets, but he got the job done, really looked good. I think Tampa is underestimated. I think they're really underrated this year. Everyone thought they were going to lose, whether it was against the Washington football team People thought they would lose against the Saints, and people thought they were going to lose against the Packers. People either just thought that, or they wanted to see Tom Brady go down. But man, Rodgers, the Packers, and their head coach, Matt LaFleur, went downhill. Now, late in the game, the Packers head coach, LaFleur, decided to go for a field goal rather than a touchdown, and they didn't. They went for the field goal on fourth down, late into the game. You know, pretty late into the game. And... It hurt them in the end. They could have had it. You have Rodgers as a quarterback, too. They could have really had it, and they didn't. 
Matt LaFleur decided, you know what, let's not go, let's go the safe route and at least get points up on the board, which I understand, but in these kind of situations, it does hurt you. It does, and that's why the Packers are out of the playoffs now, and they're eliminated. Now for LaFleur, he is in his second year as a Green Bay head coach. He's 13-3. That makes him 26-6 as he went 13-3 last year as well. Reached the conference championship last year just to lose to the Niners. Reached it this year just to lose to Tampa Bay. He was previously an offensive coordinator for both the Rams in 2017 and the Titans in 2018. Got a good coaching record, but just that one play call and that one decision is going to hurt him and his reputation for a number of years now. It's going to hurt Rodgers and his reputation. There's talks that Rodgers could be on his way out of Green Bay, which I don't think is true. I think that's just clicks for bullshit. We you don't know in today's game. I mean, no one knew when Durant was going to go to Golden State. But this is going to hurt the Packers. This hurts Rodgers' legacy. Rodgers only has one Super Bowl back in 2010. Yeah, we're going to treat him like he's our Lord and Savior. I really don't understand that. But the Bucks are clicking at the right time. And before I get into their aspect, why do we always take Lambeau Field and the weather going into the colder months as the most dangerous thing of all time? I don't fucking get it. We treat Lambeau and Green Bay like we've never seen cold weather like it. These are NFL professional players. They've played in this weather. Tom Brady played in New England for 20 fucking years. I don't understand it at all to where... These guys are pros to where they play in this weather. It's not like when you go against the Packers, it's a different kind of cold. It's cold weather, okay? And Tampa, I don't care if they're from Florida. They're ready for what it takes to play a cold weather team, and they show that. And now they get rewarded to be the first ever team to host the Super Bowl in their city, in their field. I'm rooting for Tampa at this point. I do think they have a legitimate chance of winning. Here's why. They're clicking at the right time. They have earned home field advantage, so playing on three straight road games, despite having an 11-5 record, has paid off possibly. Their defense is clicking. I think Devin White, who is snubbed over the Pro Bowl this year, the inside linebacker, has been really good. He's quick. He knows how to tackle. He's strong. And if he could be a big contributor to this defense against the Chiefs, I can see Tampa winning this. And comparing the two teams... You have so much talent on both, but I think the Buccaneers have actually used that talent finally for the better. It took time, of course, to get used to the swing of things, but it took time, and they got there. Leonard Fournette has now been a really good running back, as well as Ronald Jones, which they already had. Antonio Brown has been more involved in the offense. Chris Godwin really isn't dropping balls anymore. I really like this Tampa Bay offense and their defense. As long as Devin White's doing his thing and JPP is also doing his thing, I really think that they can be tremendous against the Chiefs. I do. I do. And I'm not going to be afraid to say that. For the Chiefs, you obviously have Mahomes. You have Tyreek Hill. You have Travis Kelsey. Great. So be it. But these guys are what makes the Chiefs offense. Yeah, Mahomes will go to Pringle here and there. But this is what makes the offense. And the Bills don't know how to fucking tackle anybody to where Travis Kelsey would be open for 30 yards. He'd break tackles like no man has ever done it before. Tyreek Hill, just a speed demon. I get it. Such a dangerous offense. And Mahomes going through concussion protocol and having turf toe, it didn't affect him. But here's my point. I'm not trying to be a Mahomes hater, 
But let's look at the game. If you actually watch the game, Mahomes does a little two-yard pass to Tyreek Hill, and then Hill goes 50 yards down. If we really sat down and took away the yards that the receiver ran and just looked at the yards that Mahomes threw for, he wouldn't have that good of a game. Now Mahomes did finish with three touchdowns and 325 yards, 29 of 38 completion, but how much of the damage was from Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, who combined for over 300 yards, 22 receptions combined as well. Big part of their offense. I mean, Tyreek Hill went for an average 19 yards per carry. For the Bills, poor coaching. Sean McDermott, coach of the year, really couldn't get the job done. Just weren't ready and sustainable enough to handle the Chiefs. They're going to come back better than ever, but this was a learning year. It's tough. Stephon Diggs, watching them out there, must be pissed. I would be too. Josh Allen. Best year of his career so far, and he's only looking better. you got to give these kids time. I still think they got to work on the running game. I'm not sold on Devin Singletary. You have Cole Beasley, who's great. Stephon Diggs, who's your main number one. Dawson Knox, great tight end. The Bills are going to be back and better than ever with so much talent. Great fan base, loyal, determined, and hungry. I think they played great throughout the whole season, but not against the Chiefs. They just had poor game plan. So now you have the Chiefs, the Buccaneers, and here's where I'm going to go with it. If the Buccaneers and Devin White on defense is able to look and read and not fall for the pump fakes with Patrick Mahomes and you're not giving up big gains to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, you're looking good. I think Tampa's winning the Super Bowl. Tampa looks like they have more spread out talent. But we got to see. Next thing you know, knowing me saying this and my luck, the Chiefs are going to go out and going to be slinging the ball downfield. But hey, I really do think the Buccaneers developed at the right time, and Brady is proving, without Belichick, that he could possibly go 7 for 10, and that he's the greatest of all time. I'm rooting for Brady. I'm rooting for the Bucs. If you guys hate me, here's what I'm going to say right now. I'm not the biggest fan of Brady at all due to the fact that I'm a Raiders fan, but no matter how much you hate a player, whether it's Brady, LeBron, or any other great, even Sidney Crosby, once they retire and leave their game, you're going to miss them no matter what. No matter how much you hate them, how much they hurt your team, you're going to miss them because they were so great and so dominant in their careers, and they were fun to watch. They were. You can't blame me for that. You know I'm right. The Super Bowl 55 should be a good one. I'm really excited. I am picking Tampa. Let's go, baby. I needed to see Mahomes get a little bit of trouble here and face an actual fantastic quarterback in Brady, in my opinion, best of all time. Last year, you had to face Jimmy Garoppolo, and he struggled three quarters of that Super Bowl game. Get the nerves off. You're playing in your second one. Let's see what you could do. It's going to be a great Super Bowl. Now, I want to move on. However, we're going to talk about more football. In fact, we're going to talk about one single player himself, and that man is Philip Rivers, the man with nine kids. Philip Rivers has had a great 17-year career that started in 2004 with the San Diego Chargers. And he spent 16 of his 17 years with that organization that has also just recently found a new home in Los Angeles. Philip Rivers, however, was drafted by the New York Giants fourth overall in 2004, but he was eventually traded with a bunch of guys for Eli Manning. Eli did not want to play with San Diego, and the Giants said, let's take him. And Rivers... Had a fantastic career. It really worked out for both teams. 
Maybe not much of the Chargers since no Super Bowl appearance or win, which I'll get into actually for Rivers' sake. For Rivers' career, an eight-time Pro Bowler, and he also won Comeback Player of the Year in 2013. He was great with the San Diego Char and Los Angeles Chargers. As he had a record of 123 and 101, I think that's serviceable for the organization that hasn't been that great and had their ups and downs. They were a really good team at times. For the Chargers, he had just under 60,000 yards throwing. He had 397 touchdowns and just under 200 picks. So he was a really serviceable quarterback for 16 years with the Chargers. But then eventually, you move on. The Chargers decided to take Herbert, put him in there. Rivers knew he was out right when they selected him. He decided to go on and go with the Colts. Now, previously, he decided to move to Tampa. He still had a home in San Diego, despite the L.A. move. Everyone thought he was going to be a Buccaneer, and Brady was going to go elsewhere, whether it was back in New England or anything like that. Rivers decided to take a one-year contract with the Colts, $25 million. The Colts thought they had a legitimate shot. I thought they were going to be a playoff team, in which they were, but nothing great. They lost in the first round wild card versus the Bills in Buffalo, and Rivers decided to call it a career. But Rivers did have a good year with the Colts, and his only year with the Colts. For Indianapolis, he had 24 touchdowns with 11 picks and 4,169 yards, with exactly a 68% completion percentage. For being 39 years of age, was pretty reliable for his final year. As of right now, he sits in fifth all-time in passing yards as well as touchdowns. For passing yards in his career, he's got 63,440 for the 16 years he's played. And for the touchdowns, he's at 421. For the passing yards, he's under Breeze, Brady, Manning, and Favre. Really makes great company. He's just ahead of Marino, Big Ben, possibly retiring in seven, and Eli Manning in eight. So Phillip Rivers, looking good in both those passing yard rankings and touchdown rankings. What hurts Rivers is that he has had no Super Bowl win or appearance. And that does damage a lot of guys. You obviously hear that a lot, and I don't blame him. You know, it's a team effort, though. But you would like to see a quarterback take a team over the top. That's what they're there for. They're the man in charge. So for Rivers, had great years with San Diego slash L.A., had some not very not. Couldn't do it with the Colts. But for his career, he's played in 244 games, a total quarterback record of 134-105, a completion percentage of just under 65%, with 63,440 passing yards, with 421 touchdowns and 209 picks. I honestly think Rivers is a Hall of Famer. He did his time. He stood with the Chargers through thick and thin, and he decided to take his talents to the Colts, and at 39, he put, he put up great numbers. I think with the company that Rivers is in, he is going to be a Hall of Famer. And I would be actually pretty shocked to see the fact that he wasn't in any possible way. So, what this is going to lead me into is Drew Brees. I did mention he's first overall in all-time passing with over 80,000. Now, I think Brady's going to pass him next year. But for Drew Brees, the question is not if he's a Hall of Famer or not. We obviously know he's a legitimate Hall of Famer, which I'll get into. It's a matter of him hanging up the cleats. And I was talking to my dad about this. In his final game where he got eliminated by the Bucks. he didn't look so sharp. 
My dad told me he looked like Dan Marino in his final days. Couldn't throw the ball down the field. Really just wasn't the same kind of player like Marino used to be, and same with Breeze, obviously. Breeze just couldn't really get anything done. And the question is, is he going to hang up the cleats? He's had a serious rib injury to where I think the Saints did rush him back. There's talks now that Sean Watson wants out, and the Saints could be after him. However, they have no cap space, so that is out of the picture 100%. But for Breeze, getting back to it, he could possibly retire. The 13-time Pro Bowler could be done for after playing 20 years in the league starting in 2001. He played five years with the San Diego Chargers, and that's how Rivers really eventually took over, as he wasn't the same kind of player with the Chargers. He was actually pretty terrible, in fact. He would have been a Miami Dolphin if it wasn't for the failed physical that led him to the Saints eventually. Go figure. Sorry, Dolphin fans, including my dad out there. But for Breeze, great career, tremendous numbers, everything like that. For his career, in 287 games, he has... A quarterback record of 172 and 114, a completion percentage of around 67%. 80,000 yards right now leads the NFL all time in that category. 571 touchdowns and 243 picks. Great numbers, obviously, in the Hall of Fame. It's just a question of what do the Saints do from here? Do you go out and try Jameis Winston? Or do you go after someone else, maybe Taysom Hill even another year? Maybe he can flourish with the team and they say, screw it, let's go here, let's go this route. For Breeze, he put up the numbers, he's a Super Bowl champ, he brought a Super Bowl to the city, but I think it's time for him to hang up the cleats. He's been a great quarterback for his size too. At 6 feet, 5'11", arguably small for a quarterback, he has put on hell of a career on the stat sheet. And for that organization. So now we're going to expect some more football news. I'll get into the Super Bowl later on once it happens. My review, my take. And this news has to relate to another quarterback. However, he is currently in the league. Soon to be 33. He goes by the name of Matthew Stafford. Stafford came into the league in 2009. And has spent 12 years with the Detroit Lions. All those years. The Lions are really not known to be that great of an organization, had very few great years within their time. Stafford, though, is a baller. With a record of 5-11, and Stafford still filled up the stat sheet with 26 touchdowns, 10 picks, and over 4,000 passing yards. Stafford's been a really great Lion, and now the Rams are going to take him. The Rams are sending away Jared Goff, two first-round picks, and a third-round pick as well. That's big. The Rams are killing their future. They had a pretty good team this year. They couldn't get it done. The Rams, good defense. Jared Goff, I don't really think is that great of a quarterback at all. I don't even think he's good. Maybe he's serviceable. The Lions have high hopes for him. As for Stafford, he hasn't had the greatest record against above 500 teams. However, being on the Lions, that's bound to happen. It's not just an individual sport. I don't care what it is. It's a team sport no matter what. So the Rams are taking a high risk, very, very high risk for the one-time Pro Bowler and Stafford. I like this move for both teams, but I do see why the Lions would be the clear-cut favorites due to the fact that they get two first-round picks for a 32, soon-to-be 33-year-old quarterback in Stafford. 
They knew they weren't going to win with him. Maybe Jared Goff needs that little change of scenery. See how he does over there. Develop some talent with those picks soon around him and go from there. Because with the Lions, Stafford just wasn't it, no matter how much he did. The Lions are in disarray. Of course, it's not on Stafford's fault. Matt Patricia was not a good coach for them at the time either. And Stafford never had much success with the Lions dating back to 2014. They went 11 and 5, and in 2011, they went 10 and 6. But besides that, the Lions have been truly mediocre. As for the Rams, they're going to take this. They believe Stafford is more of a veteran presence that they need. This might be the hidden gem to push them over the top. They lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl previously, in Super Bowl 53. Maybe this is what they need. Hear me out. They have a great running game in Cam Akers. I really think he's going to develop more and more. They got a decent wide receiver tight end game. I like Cooper Cup and all that. Robert Woods. Defense, great. You got Jalen Ramsey, everything up there. It's uptight. Fantastic. Great coach in Sean McVay. I think he's going to make Stafford a freaking beast and a freaking annihilating weapon. Stafford at quarterback, I think, was the final solution. I never trusted golf with that offense. It was really the Rams' defense that was carrying them and pushing them through. I do favor this move for the Rams just if they win a Super Bowl. Of course, that's what they're trying to do here. For the Lions, we got to see what they do with these picks in the future. However, getting Jared Goff, let's see what he can do in the Lions uniform in Detroit. Get him some weaponry. You got a good running back in DeAndre Swift. I really don't think Marvin Jones is going to return, which will hurt them. But you do have the tight end, Hawkinson. So it's going to take a little bit of years, and it's going to be a very big risk here and just another long rebuild for Detroit fans. But it's worth it just because of the picks. Two first-rounders for an aging quarterback in Stafford. Not saying he's past his day at all. I think he's going to fit well with the Rams. The Lions are looking young. They're looking new. They want to erase everything that they had and move on. I do think the Lions won this trade, but not by a lot, as people say. They fleeced the Rams. I truly don't believe that. I think the Rams are going to be even better. They have a really complete team, and Stafford just might be the guy to push them over the top. But now I want to shift on to baseball before I get into some interesting stuff very quickly. For baseball, it's more minor things that have happened. So, first and foremost, as of right now, as I'm recording this, Nolan Arenado has not officially, but is most likely, being traded to the St. Louis Cardinals for a couple of players, but nothing major. Dylan Carlson on the Cardinals is not included in that deal so far. It feels like the Rockies got snubbed when they extended him to this huge contract. They really hit the panic button due to the fact that Trout got extended mega millions and they thought the same with Arenado. It turns out the Rockies figured out they're not going to be anything special within the years to come and a really tough division coming up with the Dodgers and the Padres. Rockies decided to move on. I believe they're going to get rid of Trevor Story soon now that Arenado is gone, most likely. But we're going to have to see for the future. Right now, the Cardinals get a great third baseman, eight-time gold glover, a couple of times he's got the platinum glove. And Nolan Arenado, great at bat. Biggest question, the cores effect. He's got great numbers in cores, pretty decent numbers on the road. But the question is, in Bush Stadium, can he be that 
dominant, fearsome hitter that pitchers are afraid to face? Or is he going to be that road kind of player where he's above average? I think he's a better hitter than people do say, if it has to do with course and the altitude. But I wouldn't be so shocked if his numbers did dip. Bush Stadium isn't the hardest, but it's not the easiest to really hit in either. So right now we're looking at Arenado could be in the red with the St. Louis Cardinals. Great organization. A lot of greats are coming out of there. And I honestly think that Arenado and Goldschmidt are two of the most underrated players in today's game that are not really talked about in Major League Baseball. So this is pretty good and pretty cool for the team. They just recently re-signed Adam Wainwright, and they're looking at re-signing Yadier Molina yet again. So the Cardinals, in a very easy division, should win it and take advantage. In other news, Didi Gregorius has re-signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's back, and better than ever, two years, $28 million, well-deserved for Didi. I love Didi a lot. I miss him as a Yankee, even though I'm not a Yankees fan. I thought he was just great. He had a good season with the Phillies in his first year, and he's going to be back, and he's going to be dominant. They needed a shortstop. I think he's good for them. I think he's serviceable. But for the Phillies, they re-signed JT Romuto just recently too. Five years, $115.5 million. Great. You got a pretty reasonable price for JT. He's asking for a lot. You get Didi back, of course. But the question is pitching. Pitching, pitching, pitching. Whether it's the starting rotation or the bullpen, the team needs to live on that. Their offense is lethal, it's dangerous, it's scary, but their pitching is an absolute joke to where it's going to put the Phillies in fourth or fifth place. I'm sorry to say it. Give them a couple of years, maybe try and trade for prospects that can replace Sixto Sanchez in that trade, and we have yourself a really good team. But for right now, the Philadelphia Phillies are set on offense for a number of years. It's the pitching that has to work out for this team, and I think the organization has to know that. We're going to stick with Major League Baseball, and I want to get into the Hall of Fame voting and the whole controversy it has received for the first time in seven years. There is no one that has been elected into the Hall of Fame. It's been a while, but it has yet to come again, of course. This one, a lot of controversy, and I'm pissed about it, and I'll give you my explanation of why. So, first and foremost, Kurt Schilling, despite not making it, led in the amount of votes for the possible Hall of Fame as he received 285. First and foremost, Kurt Schilling, despite not making it, received the most votes, 285 to be exact. That's a percentage of 71.1%. This is his ninth year on the ballot. He's requested to be off of it, and we're going to see where it goes from here in five years if he's going to be a Hall of Famer or not. And this doesn't have to do with his career. He was a tremendous player, especially with the Diamondbacks and the Red Sox, and he was dominant for his late 30s, and it's hard to do for a pitcher in any position, but especially for a pitcher. For Kurt Schilling in his career, he has been a six-time All-Star. He's won a World Series MVP. He's a three-time World Series champ as well as an NLCS MVP under his belt. Now, for his stats, 216 wins with 146 losses and a 3.46 ERA, 
along with 3,116 strikeouts. If you know baseball, you know that those are Hall of Fame numbers right off the bat, no doubt about it. So why does he have much controversy to be a possible Hall of Famer? It has to do with his political beliefs. Now, I'm not going to mention anything but that. I don't give a fuck what you are politically. We got better things to do in life. Why is Major League Baseball, why is the Hall of Fame being more of the ethics Hall of Fame? Why the fuck are we going this route? Why are we looking at what these players done on a baseball field? And why are we looking at what they posted on Twitter or anything like that? Are we that insecure? Are we that much of babies to realize, oh, what Schilling said on Twitter is just unacceptable. The man did all he did on the field. It has to do with what a player has done on the baseball field, not what they're posting online or not what their political beliefs are. So get that out of the fucking picture. Kurt Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame, and it's a damn shame that he's not this year. It really is a damn shame. It's pathetic. It really makes the MLB Hall of Fame look like a joke in which it already has controversy due to the steroids and all those players that are either making it or not. So yeah, Kurt Schilling should be a Hall of Famer, no matter his political views, no matter what he's said. He has said enough on the baseball field for 20 damn years. All those numbers out there make the political beliefs fly out the damn window. I mean, really. I mean, really. There's much more controversy with this one this year as Barry Bonds came in second with just under 62% voting. Obviously, the steroids kicked in. And here's my take. I personally don't think Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. People say, oh, even with the Roy, he was a great player. Yes. The amount of times this man has walked or was intentionally walked, great. But you're not only toying around with the home runs you give up, but you're also playing around with RBIs, runs, hits, everything like that. PEDs are performance-enhancing drugs. That's going to enhance your game. We truly don't know what Bonds would have been without the roids. And if you look at the pictures of him with Pittsburgh, he's a skinny guy compared to what he was with the Giants. Roger Clemens came in third, also around 62%, just under Scott Rowland, just at 52%. Omar Vizquel... He was one of the few players that dipped at 49%, and the list goes on. Todd Helen, 7th place. He's making progress around 45%, but I feel bad for this guy. He was a longtime Rocky, just not only that, but he was a good player. The home and road splits due to the altitude could create a controversy, but you're a Major League Baseball team in the Rockies. You don't, as a player... You don't really control what you do. You're just going out there and you're playing baseball. I think Todd Helton was a great player, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. It's only his third year of eligibility. We're going to see as time goes on if that percentage goes up or down. But it's been a very controversial year. As for next year's potential Hall of Fame ballot in 2022, we're looking at a couple of new names, including David Ortiz, A-Rod, I'm interested, but I don't think either one should be. I think A-Rod's a definite no-no. And I think Big Poppy's going to get a lot of yes, a lot of approval, despite let's not cherry-pick who should be in it with roids and who should not be. You can't tell me that Big Poppy didn't do roids. That's absolute, complete bullshit. He definitely did. 
look at the pictures, go back to 2003. Thank you very much. However, I'm afraid that's all I have for you guys on this episode. For a lot to talk about, I know it was a little bit of a shorter episode. For next week, I really want to try and get into some NHL and NBA news, maybe even the Patrick Lyonet trade that went down in hockey. And NBA is just progressively going through the season. But that's all I have for you guys this Monday afternoon. For updates on my podcast, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Take and tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. for new episodes. I'm out, guys. Peace.